Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits who are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more right now now at parkpower.ca. Uh, apologies if my voice sounds a little off. Uh, I just came off a bout of the flu. <laughs> Scott is recently well. Yeah, I went away to a winter camp with the scout group that I volunteer with for a weekend. And things were hunky-dory and fine, and I came back... I got uh, violently ill. <laughs> on, ...on Sunday, and by like... The wee hours of Monday morning, I was violently ill. And oh, it as was Nita not says. pretty. It was not pretty. No. And so I'm just happy that it happened when I got back. Right. Instead I, of on the bus. I mean, I prefer that it that it hadn't happened at all. But I'm I'm happy that it <laughs> didn't happen at camp or in transit. Look, if it has to happen, it's yeah. better to happen at home next to a toilet than on a bus <laughs> full of kids. At any rate, so um, I'm still... Bouncing back from that, thankfully, it was one of those short-lived bouts of flu. But uh, if I sound a little off, it's because I don't think my voice is fully recovered. I sound weird to me, so I can only assume that. <laughs> I, I do sound a little weird. But You sound a lot better today <clears throat> than you did yesterday, so there's that. Indeed. Uh, but one thing that uh, you can do when you're down with the sickness is uh, catch up on, on your book reading. Come on. Get down with the sickness. I Yeah. I assumed that most people who were listening were picking up what I was laying down. Uh, At any rate, uh, I was able to uh, catch up on the chapter, uh, which I had not been able to do over winter camp, obviously. Well, you were busy. Indeed. Uh, So that's all taken care of. And I guess with that said, we'll just segue right into it with a uh, brief recap of chapter 16, in which the crew is taken to the Dwarf Fortress. They're shown around a little bit and then whisked off to respective prisons, all except for Addie, who's taken for a private tete-a-tete with Tess Salvican, where Tess intimates something might be going on, but doesn't give too many answers, and then puts Addie in a not-locked bedroom for the night. And we're going to find out what Addie does with that (laughs) as we move into Chapter 17 of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was going to say, that's the nice thing about our podcast. You only have to read a chapter to catch up. Anyway. So Addie immediately decides that she needs to take advantage of not being in a locked room. Right. And do some snooping. And surprising absolutely no one, she goes back. To the library. Well, I mean, there's logic to this. It's it's not entirely because that's the thing that's most interesting to her. It's because she recognizes she's not exactly a master of stealth. 
And the she, best she's got is that she took off her shoes. Yeah, and she doesn't know like if there are guards or patrols or anybody watching for her. So she knows she can safely get back to the library, and she knows that that's where Tess had her office effectively. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty good place to go and at least start snooping. Yeah. So she does. Yeah. Also, Addie has a thing for books. It's Just true. Just saying. She takes her little LED candle <laughs> and uh, makes her way back to the library. And her first thought is, oh, I wish I could like make a copy of this map that the engineering team has, because then we could like compare it to the map we got from Arthur's team, maybe get some new information. Yeah, exactly. But I don't have my tablet how am I going to do this? And she realizes she's going to need some paper. So she starts rooting around in desks. Yeah, she's legit just looking for a pen and paper. And can't find anything initially because, of course, the set is not completely set up at this point. Also, pen and paper. How rudimentary. Well, it is (laughs) an old-fashioned library. There should be pen and paper. There should be. I I would argue there should be quills and ink. But there is not. (laughs) So looking for something to write on, she realizes her best bet at this point is just to find a book. And right at the back of the book. Uh, what does she call them? End pages? Yeah. The, the blank filler pages to make the page count even. And as a, right? pro- as a professor of English literature, <laughs> she's used to making notes in the margins of books, doesn't even think twice about marking up a book, uh, which I know for some of our readers might be a physically painful thing to think <laughs> It of, might hurt but... a little. So she begins looking through the bookshelves to try to find something that is easily portable because these are largely tomes. Yeah, great big thick leather bound yeah. novels. So, and she needs something that's a little more like a folio that she can like slip in a pocket or something. Yeah, something small and portable. And she hits upon a smaller book, but also the title kind of jumps out at her. Also, also, it's shiny and golden. This one is called The Origin of Mirabilis. And she's like, a history book about this island? Go on. And she, like her little, hmm. So she pulls it off. It's, uh, first of all, it's got like a metal amulet, like engraved on the front of it. Right. Uh, so it's surprisingly heavy for the size of the book. She's actually caught off guard by it. And she begins looking through and what she discovers is basically like a design doc for the entire island. Yeah. It, this book kind of weirds me out a little. Not in the creepy way, but in the, like, the way it's put together. Elaborate. It's a collection of design docs and memos and agreements and contracts, and it's just sitting there on the shelf. It's like the series Bible for the island. In right? Yeah. Except that kind of thing shouldn't be on the shelf available to people titled The Origins Of... I was expecting like a false history, stories of of these great triumphs of, you know, the heroes of the island. Here's the thing. I think Addie was expecting that too. Yeah, but it, this kind of information should be in a folder somewhere in an office, not bound in a book on the shelf. Hard disagree. If the island did become active and did become a hit, that's the kind of historical document that there's a lot of nerds who are going to be interested in. An actual look at what went into the technical design of the island. There are people who would be interested in that. And so as a historical document, that would be of interest. And my guess is that there's nothing in it that would be classified then. It would be all stuff that, that could potentially be publicly available later. Maybe not right now while it's currently top secret and under construction. But the book is also on the island. It's not like it's getting off. No, I know. It's just that the form it is in doesn't seem to fit. That's all. Well, there's also another way to look at it. This is where she hides her documents? 
in plain sight on the shelf. I was going to go one further and say Tess Selvacan is a corporate spy, and that book might be a collection of documents she's intending to sell to someone. Oh, and it's possibly, I didn't think about that part. And it's possibly easier to smuggle off a book than a bunch of data from a high-tech island. I suppose. But in that case, you should give it a very deceptive title. Mm. Or, as you say, hiding it in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, also, I've gotten a little bit ahead of myself. A little bit. Let's back up a little bit. Because I want to... <laughs> I, I still want to talk about. I want to talk about what's in the book before we carry on with what happened in the chapter. Yes. Yeah, spoiler alert: Tess Salvacan is a corporate spy. Is or was? I'm not sure. I can't uh, tell. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss that. We'll pin pin that. We'll come back. The thing in the book that really catches Addie's eye is kind of the game master guide. I guess would be <laughs> it's what she describes it as. It's uh, apparently what it's titled. The part that she skims is written by Harris Lang, and it's a discussion of basically how the people who are working on the island and are living there full time might begin to have a sense of entitlement and ownership over the island and that that could pose potential problems down the road. Basically, he had the foresight to recognize someone might try to steal his island from him. Yes. That appears to be what has happened. And it begins kind of setting the wheels in motion in Addie's head. It starts to make things kind of add up from different things that Harris has said or done from the early chapters of this book in regards to getting this mission going. And she'll discuss this with Torres a little later in the chapter as well. It begins to make her suspect that Harris may have not just known that this was going to happen, but suspected who might do it and kind of set it in motion to see how it would go down. My guess is possibly to see how it would go down before there's actual guests on the island. Yes, so like, as not to endanger the public. Like set this in motion early to see how it could shake out and how it could be dealt with. If that makes any sense. Kind of. It just, it led me to question, what exactly is it that Harris Lang is trying to build exactly? You had said last chapter that it was starting to seem to you less like they were building a theme park and more like they were trying to build a fantasy world. Right? And I think that that kind of ties back to this. I think that and we even discussed this last chapter as well. Harris Lang wasn't planning to build a theme park. He was planning to build a fantasy retreat for himself that other people could come and visit. Right? A fantasy escape? Yeah. I feel like he's trying to build this weird fantasy slash feudal separate civilization? Oh, he explicitly says that the island will be run under a sort of new feudalism. The whole... With him as king. The whole feudal system idea just okay because you know that worked out real well historically right i mean that's why we still have feudalism today because it's a perfect system that works that works perfectly yeah yeah nobody died at the hand of their people i mean that repeatedly that's a statement that could be applied to every government type ever okay up, fair to, the, up to the modern world so let's not just pin that on <laughs> feudalism okay fair enough but still just saying like I think, I think if we study history a little harder, we can see that the feudal system was not the best system. Here's the thing, though: the feudal system is kind of how corporations work, right? Kind of. And basically, Harris Lang is trying to say that he's going to run the park. He even says neo feudalism. Mm -hmm. He's going to run it like a corporation, but you know, instead of a CEO, you've got a king, and yeah. instead of vice presidents, you've got dukes or whatever. Yeah, he doesn't want to be the CEO; he wants to be the king. Basically, yeah. 
Oh, dear. Well, this is all very interesting to Addie, and she's going to read further when somebody, like, snatches her from behind. Does and, the like, whole, like, hand over the mouth, like, thing. Yeah, and it's Torres, and it's literally just him being like, it's cool, it's me, don't scream. And she's like, <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> she's like, oh, okay, it's you, thank God. This That legitimately caught me by surprise. I was with Addie in this moment. I wanted more book. I expected there to be more info coming, and then there was... Uh, muffled screams. <laughs> yeah. So unsurprisingly, and this is something else we had posited last chapter, Torres's team escaped. Of course they did. With relative ease, they have all their equipment back. Like <laughs> it's it's like they were never in prison to begin with. I don't know what Tess was thinking. Like, yeah, just lock them together in a room. Like, really? Even if she hadn't locked them together, I suspect they would have still gotten out. Probably. But they also hit upon checking out the library and. Or at least finding Tess's office, because again, that's basically where the library is. And they're already like hacking databases and downloading maps. Wendell's got his laptop out. He's like, we're in, boss. Like all of this happens right behind Daddy's back. Yeah, Rucker's Rucker's watching the door. (laughs) While the the team is dealing with this, Torres kind of pulls Addy aside and they have a little chat. And he's like, so why do you think Tess pulled you aside? And Addy is like, because she was trying to win me over. Which is something we had said last chapter as well. Oh, yeah. Addie is aware of it. Torres is aware of it. We're all aware of it. It wasn't Uh, exactly subtle. Torres is like, did you learn anything? And Addie's like, well... Kind of? Kind of a little. Like, she clearly... Something's up. Because she started playing the message from Harris. It sounded a little incriminating. And then she shut it off. So I'm not 100% certain what's up with that. Also, she mentioned that apparently the whole island was made by... Dominic to impress me. Which, the more people say it, the creepier it gets. Yeah, it's actually um, Almonte who's like, I can't decide if that's creepy or romantic, to which Addie just replies, yes. 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 <laughs> just yes to all of the above? Yes, that is that is both of those things. It's weird. Addie also comes back to the thing that Harris told her in private, the message that he had asked her to deliver in person. Yes. To... Dom. And, I was so proud of you in this moment. And she does mention that it is a Blade Runner reference. Woohoo, you did it! <laughs> so, uh, and that it's specifically, it's the checkmate reference that is used to get into Tyrell's room at the end of the movie during the climax. And she is wondering, like, obviously this this is like a checkmate thing. Is this Harris trying to suggest to Dom that he knew all along that Dom was planning to steal the island? Mm. Mm-hmm. And again, based on the book that she was skimming, kind of, yeah. He suspected someone was going to do it. Question is, is Dom aware of that or in on it? Or what were Dom's motives? If Dom was the person who stole it to begin with. Something that just occurred to me, maybe, maybe this is the game between Dom and Harris. Possibly. That Harris is like, all right, just try to take over my island. And Dom was like, challenge accepted. And now Harris has sent this elite team to get his island back. And he's like, ha, checkmate, sucker, I got you. Well, I mean, Addie and Torres both commiserate over the idea that they're they're not being told the whole story. They're both being jerked around and that they are pawns in a larger game. Mm-hmm. And Torres kind of just says, you know, it's missions like this that I hate, where my clients aren't being upfront with me. Yeah, we're but, I'm not getting all the information. But... It's made up for by the fact that we're being paid very well. <laughs> oh, I assume they're being paid very well. Yeah. And he hits upon our playtester idea. Yep. That they've been sent as like elite playtesters. Well, not just elite playtesters, but almost like a control group. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they're not 
in the island, as it were. Yeah, yeah. The way that, like, Tess's team and Arthur's team Right, are. they're outsiders to this whole civilization world. To this world. system, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that, that is discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Torres is doing the same thing to Addie. He's not telling her everything. She doesn't confront him about that yet, but, but you can tell obvious. it's on her mind. Yeah. yeah. And, well, it's, he... and it's because Tess put it in her ear last chapter. Also, credit to Torres, though. I think he's doing it on purpose to keep Addie from blabbing. Because if Addie knows everything, she might talk. Well, he does ask if she's lying to him, and she counters that she's a bad liar. And he's like, ah, but if you were a good liar, you might say you were a bad liar, and I might believe you. (laughs) Okay, except uh, she would have to be an amazing liar and a very good actress (laughs) to have maintained that facade this long. Torres might also be withholding from her because he's trying to protect her. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. Especially, if she knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. she might she might accidentally let something slip and not, tell Tess what's up. But I'm not I'm not saying just because he doesn't trust her not to blab something. I mean, like legitimately, if there's some aspect of their job that he thinks Addie would object to or be troubled by, he might specifically be just omitting that information from her. Oh, I see. What he you're knows saying. that she's a survivor of this shooting. He knows that she's suffering from PTSD. If he earnestly expects that they're going to have to say kill Dom. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe don't tell her that part. Maybe don't tell her that part. That's fair. I don't think they've been sent to kill Dom. I don't think so either. But I'm saying that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Something that he might not tell her, misguided or not, in an effort to protect her. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. One other thing that Addie does pass along is that there is a central control ring for the island. Uh, or there was going to be. Yeah, there was supposed to be, but. Tess doesn't know if it was actually completed or not. And she once again thinks to the ring in her pocket and Wendell even brings it up like, do you still have that ring we found? Because maybe that's it. And she's like, it couldn't (laughs) possibly be. Yes, I still have it. It's very unlikely that it's it. Also, she recognizes how poorly having the one ring turned out for everybody who was- Everyone involved with the one ring? Involved in that one ring uh, thing. But yeah, she, because again- her thought is it's just some random ring we found at this random location on the island. And I'm just going to take us right back to last chapter where I posited it might not be so random that it was there. Yeah, maybe because, Dom planted it there for her. Because Dom has known that she's been on the island for at least as long as the Sphinx encounter. If we can assume that he's looking through the eyes of those statues. Yes. So he would have had more than enough time to plant that in her path. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. If he wanted her to have the ring. If that is the ring. At this point, I genuinely don't know. You know how sometimes you know? Yeah. It's super obvious. Like, oh, it has to be. At this point, I genuinely don't know. Yeah. It might be. It might not be. It might not be. It might be. The ring has to do something. Much like how the Triforce of Power has to do something. Um, (laughs) We just don't know what yet. We just don't know what yet. It's at this point that Wendell uncovers Tess's secret file. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> After having downloaded her maps and all that. Because it was like crazy <clears throat> encrypted. And he's like, oh, it turns out she was actually a corporate spy for Harris Lang's biggest competitor. <laughs> so that's probably what she's been trying to keep on the DL and why she's being so cagey and paranoid. Because she has actually been working against Harris Lang's better interests. On top of all this other cagey paranoid activity that everyone else is <laughs> displaying. Um, Addie definitely believes that this is what Harris was starting to allude to in his message to her. Like, I know you were spying for my competition, but I'm willing to give you a fair shake if you help me get my island back. Yeah. And she didn't want that information to slip, but whoops, it's out there now. Haha. <laughs> Here's the thing. Is, is Tessa double-crosser? I mean, 
in the sense that she's double-crossed Harris Lang? Yes. Okay, in that case, is, is Tessa triple-crosser? Is she a triple agent? I don't know. Hard to say. Like, did she go in intending to steal all these secrets, realize she liked it here, and then stopped selling secrets? Or, like, did another heel turn and came back? Like, I, I'm not sure. Uh, hard to say. Uh, we had suggested last chapter that, based on Addie's interaction with her, she seems to have drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah, right? She likes it here. And she seems to like her little kingdom that she set up for herself here. And that's certainly the appearance of it. And I have to believe that that might be the case, that she was, she did sign on to this project because she was suited to it and because she thought she could make money selling information to this other company. Yeah. But then drank the Kool-Aid along the way and is now kind of all in. Yeah. It's hard to say. I know. That's what I mean. Like, mm, I don't know. We'll have to see what. Tess says or does if confronted with this information. Maybe. Yes. Yes. We have no choice. We have to see what happens. (laughs) And that might happen next chapter because this chapter ends with the mercenaries being like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sneak back to our room. You're going to go back to your room. Get a good night's sleep. We're going to make our break tomorrow. But before then, see if you can get any more information out of Tess because if she trusts you, use that. (laughs) Yeah. And then they sneak off back to their room like they were never there. Lock themselves back in. Yeah. Which is super good of them. But they do have what Torres keeps calling their plan B. And he's not giving her the details. Just that she, she'll she know it when she sees it, basically. But we can surmise it has something to do with the power. Yeah. Because Torres is very big on making sure that Wendell has access to the power systems. So I'm thinking that they're going to cause a blackout in the door fortress. Shut everything down. And make a break for it in the chaos. Yeah, it could be. Makes sense. Yeah. Or simple, maybe... Simple, or maybe effective... Maybe full on shut down the island too if they can. Because if they can turn off all the power, I mean, there goes the energy shield. And that means that they probably don't have to worry about too many more traps back at the castle, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. If everything is electronic, granted, not everything will be electronic, but. No. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Cutting, but you can. If you can effectively cut all the power, then you can effectively shut off the magic. Yeah. Yeah. Simple, effective. Cut and it's it, Torres's mo just cut through the problem as quickly as possible. Yeah. He when when Torres is faced with a Gordian knot, he's cutting that. <laughs> yeah. And if he's been told that the castle is full of riddles and traps, and he can just shut that down, he's gonna do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I keep repeating it. Simple, effective. Yeah, I think Torres has been on this island like a day and a half longer than he intended to already, so. I think he's approaching, like, done levels with all of this nonsense. (laughs) But at any rate, uh, that pretty much takes us up to the end of the chapter. Yeah, basically, Addie goes to bed. She rolls herself uh, a very middling 11 on her lucky d20 (laughs) and then goes to sleep, yeah. All right, so let's take a look at Addie's inventory real quick. She's got a ring, Mm -hmm. a triangle. Mm -hmm. A triforce of power, because it's red. (laughs) Uh, a book and her lucky D20. The amulet book and her lucky D20. Yeah. I don't know if it counts as the Triforce of Power, because it's used for information, so it might be considered the Triforce of Wisdom. It, then it would be blue. Oh, that's true. That's why I'm calling it the Triforce of Power. It's red. Fair enough. At any rate, and she surmises that there must be somewhere that you can install it, but she hasn't seen anything mm. to indicate where it could be put. She's going to find a weird slot somewhere and plug it in and something magical is going to happen. Probably. I can hope. <laughs> Or she finds a blue one and a green one. A little on the nose, but yes. <laughs> oh, it's a lot on the nose, 100%. So uh, with that little 
update on her inventory. <laughs> I guess we'll uh, kind of wrap up there for this week. Uh, you'll want to read up on chapter 18 in time for next week. I'm excited. In the meantime, uh, once again, we frequently talk about all of the great podcasts on the Alberta Podcast Network, but it's not too often that we highlight one of them. We did that just recently. Let's do it again. Woohoo! In a world where boring dinners and ungrateful children make cooking almost unbearable. Whoa, that's a little too dramatic. Let's try this again. I'm Heather Dyer. I'm Erin Wager. And I'm Sarah Somasundaram. This is Three Kitchens, a podcast about home cooking. Whether you like cooking or you just like eating, join us to talk about food. We'll have new episodes of Three Kitchens every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Three Kitchens. They'll tickle your funny bone, wet your appetite, and warm your heart. Did that guy think he was Bruce Wayne? <laughs> I kind of liked it, actually. He made us sound super badass. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you'll want to check them out right now. You can follow the links at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can download all of those podcasts at your podcatcher of choice. That's probably where you're catching this pod. Mm, that makes sense. Could give us a little rating and a review. That helps us out. We genuinely would appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you can also reach out to us on social media. Yeah, we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the Read Along on most of those, so we should be pretty easy to find. Yeah, you can also send us an email. Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. She got the thing. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.